five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell off and bonked his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, No more monkeys jumping on the bed. That's one of those, uh, one of those counting songs that uh, little children seem to enjoy. This one goes down from five. The least way we do it starts at five and eventually ends up at zero. They keep jumping on the bed. They keep falling off. They keep calling the doctor and nobody ever listens to the doctor. In these songs, nobody ever listens to the doctor, right? Well, let me tell you this. If you sing these sorts of songs to your grandchildren, you are asking for it. One day, at Grandpa's house, the grandsons were there, and Grandpa heard some disturbing noises coming from upstairs. Now, I probably need to hasten to add a couple of things. First of all, upstairs in the vicinity of my bedroom, my off-limits bedroom, and the noises were disturbing to me, but there was absolutely no sign that any of those noises were disturbing at all to the people who were making those disturbing noises. And as I got closer, the noises got louder. As I went up the stairs, bumps, thumps, happy shouts, and lots of uproarious screaming laughter. The noises were going strong as I entered the room to assess the damage. Pillows and bed covers flung about, clothes knocked over, various other things in disarray, and two little monkeys mid-air above my bed. The one turned away from me, still laughing uproariously. Then I forcefully asked one of those parental authoritarian questions that neither expects nor pretty much never receives an answer. What do you think you're doing? You, you've heard that one before. Yeah. The fun stopped immediately, and the two little guys made no attempt to answer my question. What do you think you're doing? I heard that question frequently when I was little, and I never tried to answer it. I mean, what do we adults think they're going to say? Well, sir, we're exploring possible future career options in interior redecorating. <laughs> Honestly, we were just trying to have some fun, and this was the best option available at the moment, particularly in light of the off-limits nature of the area. You want the truth, Grandpa? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> now, it is true that those boys didn't try to address my question directly or out loud. But their body language that they were offering for anyone to see in that moment was a good answer to at least three questions. First, the action question that I was asking... And then the atmosphere question and the alignment question that I wasn't asking. The action question. What do you think you're doing? What's going on here? 
their motionless attention and sheepish faces were a revelation. These boys were well aware that this was not what they were supposed to be doing. It was naughty, against the rules, contrary to Grandpa's goodwill for their lives and for Grandpa's nice bedroom. Then the atmosphere question. They were also answering this one. Is it me, or did the weather in here suddenly change? Is the feel in here different than it was a minute ago? The high-spirited, rambunctious fun had come to a sudden and willful stop. Frowns and looks of concern had wiped away all traces of smiles and laughter. By their looks, the boys were answering. Things have turned quite cold, or from another point of view, pretty hot in here all of a sudden. Grandpa's bedroom bounce house is out of business. Welcome to police interrogation room number one. And then the alignment question. Toward whom around here are your lives oriented? Who tells you what time it is and what behaviors are healthy and appropriate? Who are you supposed to be minding? Yeah, the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who take care of you. Your sudden stillness and attention is a good sign that you understand this, even though you aren't doing it so well right now. As I was deciding how to respond to their blatant disobedience, the silence was suddenly broken by little Liam. He called out in a still, small voice, standing very still there, still on top of my bed, I love you, Grandpa. (laughs) True story. My deep frown turned into a little smile before I knew it was happening. That little monkey. Oh, it was a brilliant stroke. For grandpas, unlike fathers, are willing and able to be manipulated by such well-calculated emotional expressions. It was a brilliant stroke also because it was a timely reminder of the true nature of my relationship with these little bed-hopping monkeys. I love you, Grandpa. Yeah, and I love you too. I didn't say it, but I certainly thought it. He may have been reminding himself as much as me, but it worked pretty well. I sent them out of the room with just a promise not to make such a mess again. Now, our text for today involves, I think, these three questions about action, atmosphere, and alignment concerning our church here at Covenant and indeed all authentic churches and all followers of Jesus Christ. What are we who are the church of Jesus Christ supposed to be doing? What kind of an ongoing atmosphere should we be willing to accept and trying to encourage around here? How do we keep ourselves in proper alignment with the one who has made us and has made us for himself, the one whom we call Lord? Paul, 
as he turns in typical fashion to ethical concerns, how we ought to behave at the end of his letter, has some good insights for us. Our theme for this series in Thessalonians has been assurance. And today, we might well think of ourselves as assurance agents. We might think of today as the day when our God, through his word, shows up in our room and booms out, What do you think you are doing? This could be a good opportunity to assure ourselves that we are on the right track here at Covenant. But more than that, it seems to me, following what Paul says for us here today, working hard to put these things into practice, will be an excellent way for us to do something else. This will help us to respond well to the world around us. Our unbelieving friends and neighbors, who are always asking, but rarely if ever out loud, What do you church people think you're doing? Actions speak louder than words. We may find ourselves functioning as spiritual assurance agents by God's power and for His purposes, assuring others of God's truth, goodness, and greatness. So let's take a look at our text for today. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to the end of the letter, verse 28. Hear the word of God. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us to hear what you have for us today. Lord, we've heard your word read, and we sort of know what it means. Now, Lord, by your spirit, help us to know what it really means, what it really means for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Paul here, I think, gives us some clues about what it is to be an authentic church. Followers of Jesus Christ who are, who are on track with him. Um, clues that have to do with our horizontal actions among one another. Clues about the atmosphere that, we, that we're willing to accept and encourage. And clues about how we align ourselves with the living God who has called us to himself and is calling us to himself. 
First, Paul talks about these assertive, horizontal actions. And I would start by just mentioning that these are assertive things. These are things that you choose to do. You, you are assertive about doing these things. Frankly, I think that it's easy for us, and in many ways we're encouraged to be rather passive about things, especially things that aren't comfortable for us or that we just would rather not have to do. Just, it's enough to, to notice, but I don't have to do anything. Why, why should I step in? And in a culture that values mind your own business almost above anything else, it, it is a little bit swimming upstream to actually be assertive in our relationships with others, except where we are invited to do so, which is not very often, especially if it's something that has to do with with helping someone else, Um, especially in ways that they're not looking for. So, So first, Paul talks about how we relate to one another, especially at the beginning, in terms of how we relate to our leaders. I will fully confess that I really like this little section. For it says that the way we are supposed to relate to our leaders in an authentic church is with respect and esteem in love. It seems to me that those things are somewhat um, unnatural. These are, this is not how we naturally relate uh, to people who have authority over us, who are ex- exercising some sort of authority over us. I mean, if all I know about you, I don't know anything else about you, but I know you have authority over me, naturally, I don't like you. Right? I mean, the most important thing about your boss is he or she is your boss. So you don't have to tell me anything else about him or her. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, you probably don't like them. Why? Because they have authority over you. It's not natural. Now here, Paul is talking about people in a fledgling church. They, they have not established offices at this point. They don't have elders and deacons probably at this point. Paul will write about those things in later letters. But there are those who, by their gifts, by, by the way God has made them, eventually will be elders and deacons in the life of their church because they're being who they are and who God has created them to be, and they are answering the call that God has for them, and they are finding themselves in positions of authority one way or another. I find it fascinating that when he talks about respecting those who labor among you and are over you, he actually includes and admonish you. The ones who come into the room and say, what do you think you're doing? Get off that bed. The people that have that kind of authority and exercise that kind of corrective authority in our lives properly so, Paul says, respect them and esteem them in love. It'll take some effort. But it's a good thing to do. And I, would, and I would finally suggest about this, that this is a mark of a healthy church. When you're in a church that's reasonably healthy, you're in a church where there is respect for those who have authority in the life of that church. There's respect, basic respect for the pastor or pastors. Um, there's, there's a feeling of affection that, that you can kind of sense in the life of that church, for the pastor and for the elders. Respect and esteem for elders as well, for deacons. Respect for the person who runs your children's program and esteem for that person as opposed to giving ourselves to reasons not to respect. You know, really a clue for me, and I have to think about this myself before I ask anybody else to think about it, is what, what kind of talk 
am I encouraging in my head and among others about other people in the church, especially other leaders in the church? Am I, am I talking them down? Am I finding reasons not to respect them? Or am I headed the other direction? This is going to contribute toward a healthy church. And then Paul goes on and talks about how we relate to one another as just part of the family. And he begins by saying that we should be promoting peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Peace, shalom, things as they should be. Once again, I think how we choose to look at one another, how we, how we choose to, to hang on to bitternesses. And again, you can think about it in terms of the, the way you talk to yourself or to talk to others, especially when those people aren't around. If, if there's a problem in a relationship with somebody else in your family here, in your church family, take care of it. Do something about it. Um, it, it. Address it. If you can't let it go, address it. Um, so that there is peace. So that there is a sense of, of rightness in our relationships. And then he goes on, giving some specific um, commands. Admonish the idol. Idle could also be translated disorderly or undisciplined. People who are just sort of floating along, people who don't contribute, uh, people who are finding reasons not to ever get involved, not to ever lift a finger, somebody else will take care of it. There's a government program for that, isn't there? Paul says, be assertive. Now, once again, I would suggest that this is this is somewhat unnatural for us, and it's certainly countercultural. It's not minding your own business. But, but we are called to help, and it really is helping. It's not good to be idle. It really isn't. Negatively and positively. Negatively, being idle is dangerous. I see some people shaking their heads. The best way to avoid getting involved in bad stuff in evil, is to just be so dang busy doing good stuff, you don't have time for it. You know, the, the strategy of just say no, you've heard me say this a bunch of times, I'll say it again. The strategy of just say no, I think is a, is a failed strategy. It's just free advertising for whatever it is you're supposed to be saying no to. Just say no to this. Hey, look at this. Say no to that. That, right there. Everybody look. That. Say no. Here, if you didn't see that, let me show it to you again. Say no to that. It's free advertising. And I tell you what, I'm not strong enough to resist that stuff. I don't know about you. You show me the stuff I'm not supposed to be doing often enough and I'm going to want to do it and I'm going to start doing it unless I'm doing something else. Better way than just say no is just say yes. Say yes to all this stuff. Say yes to this. This is good. This is good. This is a worthwhile use of your time. This is what you ought to be doing. This is going to make a difference in people's lives and in the world. Do that and do that and do that. And let evil take care of itself. You wouldn't have time to be saying no. You'd be too busy saying yes. Um, that is a help to people who are idle. It, you will help them by admonishing them. Hey, how about, if you, how about if you lend a hand? How about if you get involved? How about, if, how about if you do something? Instead of finding excuses to do nothing, how about if you let me help you find some reasons to do something? It's one of the great things about being part of a church family. Honestly. We joke about it with leadership. You know, we're always asking people to do stuff. 
And, and among ourselves, now that I think about it, we're always apologizing. Is Dang, we're always asking people to do stuff. You know what? Paul is telling me, you can help me remember this, okay? Paul is telling me, I'm doing them a favor. They can say no if they're too busy doing other good things. I'm doing them a favor. If it's between this and going home and looking at the walls, or worse, looking at some screens of one kind or another, this is better. Come and help us. Join us. We're helping people who might be inclined to be idle. And we are in a culture of idleness, are we not? Give you a, a thousand ways to be idle. And nobody's asking you to do anything that matters. Well, we are here, I hope. And Paul says that's a good thing. So helping to do something that matters, which, which is a way of, of, of feeling the joy of the Lord, a, a way of feeling like things are right instead of things are just whatever, is, is by being involved, by giving of ourselves, by, by working up a sweat for something that matters. Paul says, you want to know what, you're, what kind of action you're supposed to be doing? Admonish people to get with it. Second, it says encourage the faint-hearted. These are the people who lack courage. People who could do so many wonderful things but they're, they're afraid to try. Maybe they've had some ex- bad experiences before. Maybe they've had too many people tell them what they can't do. And they need somebody to tell them about a hundred times what they can. I learned a good lesson about this encouraging people who, who lack courage. When I was involved in a summer youth program, a, a summer internship when I was in college, I went back to my home church and I uh, served as a summer intern doing youth programs. And uh, I just remember this one, one time at the beginning of the summer, we went on this big hike with everybody on the staff. And uh, it, was a, it was a super long hike, but it, but it, it was a ways. And, and as normally happens with young people, it got spread out as we were walking. You had the, you had the athletic types. I won't, I won't tell you who those were. I won't tell you who one of them was anyway. And they would, they would tend to, to scoot on up, you know, walking fast, showing everybody how fast they could walk, you know, up toward the front of the line. And every once in a while, maybe one of those folks, I, I don't know who that was, uh, would, have, would get, you know, up toward the top of the next hill and call back, you know, 300 yards back. Hey, come on, guys, let's go. You know, kind of encouraging the rest of the people. <laughs> Interesting. We, uh, we got to the end of the hike, and then we stopped, and we had lunch together, and we were sitting around, and while we were sitting around, our youth uh, director gave a little talk about encouragement. And I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember this. He said, you know, it's not much of an encouragement to people when you show them how poorly they're doing and then call to them from an advanced position. Come on. That's not a great encouragement. But today, I saw other people giving real encouragement. And those are people who are staying back with the slower people, with the, the people who were less athletic, uh, less motivated, and stayed back with them and walked with them. And while they were going together, they were saying things like, come on, we can do it. I know it's tiring, but come on, we can, we can make it up that hill. That was real encouragement. Now you may ask yourself, why did I remember that? I always remembered. That's encouragement. This, this encouraging the faint-hearted is really a two-part message, it seems to me. At least a two-part message. 
Part one, we're with you. I'm with you. Part two, you can do it. That's encouragement. And then he says, help the weak. What are we supposed to be doing around here? Helping the weak. Again, I would suggest that this is not, this is not reflex. At least it isn't for me. I generally, I am wired in such a way, true confession, that it's very natural for me to try to avoid helping the weak. I have to try to do that. I have to, I have to say, hey, you should help that person. It doesn't come naturally. They're going to slow things down. They're going to take my time and, and energy. And come on, they should just do it themselves. Or, you know, whatever, whatever self-talk you've got going on there. I'm weak enough myself. I, you know, I don't have time. I don't have energy. We, we tend to find reasons not to. And Paul says that's what we're supposed to do. The people who lack strength are to be helped, he says. And once again, it's a two-part message. We're with you. We can do it. And then with everyone, patience. God's timing. It doesn't all have to happen all at once. It doesn't have to all happen according to my time frame, which tends to be a lot shorter for you than it is for me. You're supposed to be patient. I'm supposed to be right. And, and Paul says, no, patience with everyone. This is, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And then he summarizes it, I think, in a, in a brilliant way. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. You know, we read that, especially when he uses the word evil, and we think, well, of course not. We shouldn't do evil. But you know what? You could change that and say, Make sure that no one repairs anyone fairly. Oh, I'm all about fairness. How about you? My kids growing up, they were always all about fairness. And as an adult, I could see them playing in the backyard and realize that their fairness was no fairness at all. Do you suppose anyone might look at us, wise adults, and say the same about our fairness? Your fairness is no fairness at all. You want fair? All right, here's your half a cup of rice and a little piece of seaweed. There's your meal for today. That's fair. How do you like that? They don't want fairness. And Paul says, don't just do fairness. That's a formula for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. But always seek to do good. Now let me ask you this. Jim, you're a smart guy. From your, from your knowledge of the world and, and scriptures, is fairness and good the same thing? No, it's not. Can you give me a, a good example? Can you give me a good example of, of something that was absolutely not fair but really good? Excellent. I mean, so, so you realize that things that are good aren't always fair. And, of course, Jesus on the cross is, is the ultimate example of that. And we're called to do good it may not be fair at all. This person doesn't deserve this kind of treatment for me at all. But it's good, so I'm going to do it. That's what we're called to. And that kind of summarizes all of these things. Um, and then in terms of atmosphere, the, the accepted or prevailing atmosphere around here. How are, how are things around here? This is when we get into these really short uh, memory verse 
um, commands that Paul gives here. The part of 1 Thessalonians that you probably memorized if you memorized any part at all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That's two verses. And then add 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Three things that you're supposed to do. And everyone kind of ties themselves in knots. I've been in lots of discussions about these verses. How can people pray without ceasing? I mean, are we supposed to be on our knees all the time? I mean, if you walk into church here, everyone's walking around on their knees because they're praying without ceasing. And it seems to me that the, that the thing kind of comes into focus for me when we understand that these, these are more atmosphere questions and answers and commands than they are specific horizontal um, action questions. Basically, what these are about is what kind of an atmosphere are we supposed to have in God's authentic church? Well, an atmosphere where people are always rejoicing. Good times, bad times. Economy's great, economy's bad. You come into an authentic church and people are going to be rejoicing in the Lord. And we have reason to rejoice, don't we? Where are you going to spend eternity? Where? Pretty good place, right? What can happen here? What power here on earth can stop that from happening? Stop you from going to heaven? Well, okay, we'll get, we'll get into that later. I, yeah. Correct answer. If God has called you to be His, who can stop that? No one. Okay? Is that a reason to rejoice? I mean, whatever else is going on, reason to rejoice. Atmosphere. Prayer. Not that we're... Not that... Sorry, can't give a sermon today. I've got to be praying 24-7, 365, which is why I starve in about a week. Should I die before that because I don't have time for water because I'm praying? No, that's silly. It's an atmosphere of prayer. It is any time you come around an authentic church, it's not going to take you very long and you're going to find some prayer. You want to get involved in prayer, it's going to happen quickly, early and often. It's an atmosphere of prayer. We're always talking to God. We are always connecting with God in a meaningful, relational sort of way in prayer. That's an atmosphere question. That's the way things are to be around here. And we shouldn't accept anything less. If you're in a church, if you find yourself moving somewhere and you find yourself called to a church and there's not much prayer going on, you change that. How would you change that? By praying. There you go. If you guys don't have the atmosphere, I'll bring it. I'm I'm bringing the air with me. Prayer and then thanksgiving. Whatever else is going on. There's thanksgiving happening all the time. You know, thank you that you teach our kids consistently to give thanks to God. That creates a a wonderful learning tool in terms of their own life. And as they mature, they'll always remember that giving thanks was an important thing to do. But it does something else for us as a church, doesn't it? It creates an atmosphere of thanksgiving that's part of us all the time. Yay! Atmosphere questions. Why should we do all of this? Paul says, for this is God's will. As we do these things, what's happening is the will of God is manifesting itself in this atmosphere that He's creating for us and we're cooperating with Him in. And that you, here's God's will just dripping from the walls. And there's an authentic church. There are followers of Jesus Christ who are accepting and encouraging the right atmosphere. And then finally we come to the alignment questions. Alert vertical alignment. 
This is about the presence, power, and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God. The Holy Spirit, who does do things in our midst. What I find fascinating here is Paul says, quite simply, do not quench the Spirit. And the thing that I find fascinating about that is that he even has to say it, or that he even can say it. I mean, the Holy Spirit, this is God, right? No one in their right mind says, do not quench the tidal wave when it comes to your shore, right? Good luck with that. Tidal wave going to listen to you? Excuse me, tidal wave, this is a bad day for us. Just go back out into the ocean. Any tidal wave ever, any tsunami ever responded that way? No. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. The idea that we could quench the Holy Spirit, to me, says something rather profound. And that is that God does not come to us essentially, at least not consistently, like a tidal wave. He may sometimes. If he does, it's good. He comes to us affirming and, and in a sense humbling himself into relationship. Here's, here's what I'm giving you. Here's what you need. Here's what I'm doing for you. Here's how I am blessing you. But if you choose, you can quench my spirit. It's an amazing thing. And Paul says, don't do it. So then along the lines of God's word, Paul says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. I love that. In my mind, I absolutely love that. And in my, in my hands and feet, I have a lot of trouble with it. It's this wonderful balance. He's saying no thoughtless rejection. Do not despise the word of God. Do not despise what God is saying. On the other hand, no thoughtless acceptance. Test everything. Don't just accept it and don't just reject it. Great. Now in my mind, I love the balance. Just because somebody says God says doesn't mean God says. You need to test it. But we, but we want to have an attitude of being willing, ready, able to receive what God wants to give to us through His Spirit, by His Word. As opposed to, well, can't ever be sure, so reject the whole thing. No, no. You have to have an attitude of, of receiving. Don't despise it. It's good. What God is saying to us is good. Yeah, but how do we know it's God? We need to test it. Okay, well then where are we? What am I... I mean, how can I be sure? Answer, you can't. Not in your own wisdom. You do the best you can. But here's the thing. This is the word of God. This is a prophecy of God that we're talking about here. Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you step to the left or to the right, you will hear the word of God behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. I love that. It doesn't say, don't make a move until God tells you. It doesn't say that. It says step. Step in faith and count on God to confirm. Count on God to be with you. Count on God to say, yep, that's it. Or, nah, try the other way. 
we do the best we can and we count on God's help and presence. We, we do not reject and despise, but by the same token, we do not thoughtlessly accept. We test. That's a way of doing things. That's, that's how we stay in alignment with the living God. And then the next step, okay, so now we're pretty sure this is right. What do we do? Well, maybe nothing if we don't want to. Oh, no. Paul says, hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. No careless neglect. Keep holding tightly to what is good. Do it. Affirm it. And things that are evil, throw them out immediately and permanently. Then we get to the end of this section and Paul offers a prayer. And in this prayer, I would suggest that Paul models himself all these things that he's been saying. How he relates to these friends in Thessalonia. How he prays for them. Models all of these things, it seems to me. And finally, he mentions once again the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? We've talked about it before. It's been in a couple of other passages. God is coming back into the world where we monkeys keep jumping on the beds, bonking our heads, and, in, and ignoring our doctor's advice. God is coming back. The authentic Christian community, the church, offers assurance of its authenticity by its assertive actions toward one another, its accepted atmosphere, and its alert alignment with God's revelation. Now, my intent here today, and I hope you have heard it this way, is not essentially to exhort or to admonish, for I believe that much of what we have heard about here today is manifesting itself in the life of Covenant Presbyterian Church. I hope you see that as well. We, we are doing much of this. Why work to make it ever more so? Well, our theme, as I mentioned, is assurance. And again, I would suggest that it would be good for us to see ourselves as assurance agents. Yes, this could be a good opportunity to assure ourselves that we are on the right track here at Covenant. And yes, this will surely help us to be good assurance agents in our world, responding well to the world around us, our unbelieving friends and neighbors, and their mostly unspoken question, what do you church people think you're doing? But there is something else. Why, why pay attention to these things? Why try hard to make them real in our midst here as God's church? Well, do you remember Liam's word of wisdom from atop that bed that didn't belong to him? By our attention and effort toward doing what God asks of us, we will be saying, I love you, Lord, and reminding and assuring ourselves of the nature of our relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity once again to hear your word, to be encouraged and challenged, to think again your thoughts after you and to hear how you want us 
to align ourselves with you, to encourage a, a healthy, wholesome, beautiful atmosphere in our lives and in the life of our church family here. And to be about actions that matter, that bring honor and glory to you and are, are helpful and edifying for people around us. Lord, we thank you for the instruction. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you are rock solid and your word is true and that you are always walking beside us. You aren't simply calling to us from heaven, hey, get moving, guys. But you are always near us, calling out that even we can do it. Thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name.